Welcome to the We Are From Dust podcast, episode 21. My name is Yomi Ayani. We Are From Dust is a non-profit organisation dedicated to the proliferation of art in public places. Yes, we take art from Burning Man and host public exhibitions around the world so you too can enjoy the experience. Today I am joined by psychologist Annabelle Redfern. She's a fellow festival goer and one of the smartest minds I've had the pleasure of knowing, which is why her clinical assessment of that thing in the desert is worth sharing if you're ever thinking of attending. Annabelle and I will explore first thoughts and experiences of a newbie attending Burning Man for the first time. I think it was seeing your photographs that really woke my interest in it and the fact that everyone who came back would rave about how it was a life-changing thing and I was slightly scornful about that because I think you know um, it's just something that people say it's not real Uh, but I did decide I had to see it for myself and I yeah I made a decision one particular New Year's Eve that this was going to be the year that I said yes to things instead of the default of no and then finding an excuse to not do things. So I decided if this is the year of yes, then this is the year I have to say yes to Burning Man and I have to try and make that happen. For a lot of people, the journey itself is is a big, big adventure, but also is rather audacious in itself because The preparation in itself tends to overwhelm people. How do I do this? How do I get? How do I get there? What do I need to bring? What all the rest of the stuff? How was your preparation? I was, I have to say, very much reliant on you being the expert and telling me, right, okay, now you need to book your ticket. Now you need to book your flight. Now you need to think about what you're going to pack. And I had gone online and looked at what other people had said, you must bring this, don't bring that. And also, I think having experience of going to festivals in the UK gives you some idea of, you know, the practical stuff, taking little bottles of, you know, shampoo, just packing stuff that's really essential. And... um, yeah, I think also talking to people who'd said things like, if you don't know what MOOP is now, you will by the time you get there. Don't take feathers, don't take sequins, don't even think about glitter. The sort of things that would normally be on your list. It, so it's a different way of thinking. And then make sure you've got a water bag, make sure you've got lots of water. So actually it felt more like a, like a camping expedition you know, more like a holiday in an environment where you've never been before, where you've got to have the right kit. You know, so so perhaps a bit like people who go skiing for the first time. You know, you can't expect to go skiing and wear jeans because they're not going to keep you warm. They're not going to keep you dry. So you have to have the right, you have to have invest in the right kit. So I've forgotten what your question was. No. I've I mean- rambled off on a, on a tangent of... Uh, I mean, what tends to happen at this time of the year is uh, lots of emails flying back and forth, people asking questions, um, in some cases meetings and little parties taking place where those who've been to the desert or been to the event kind of impart certain bits of information and amounts of knowledge. Then also lots of traffic on 
um, on um, discussion lists. And that in itself tends to prepare people for, for what to expect. But it never quite does, does it? No. I mean, I thought I knew what I was getting myself into. And I'd looked at, I'd even watched videos where people had filmed their journey and they'd done the sort of, filmed themselves cycling through the desert and filmed the campsites and everything. And I thought I knew what to expect, but it was so different (laughs) (laughs) because I remember walking out from where we were camped to the playa and it was not that far to walk. We were only a couple of hundred yards away and looking out and just seeing this vast expanse of desert and you could see on the horizon, you could see these tiny little lights and you could make out where there were structures on the other side and you were, the size of it, just the scale of it was overwhelming and I just, almost felt like crying because it was just bigger than anything I could get my head around. And as sort of overwhelming as that was, going out as soon as it's dark and you see the whole thing again, but with lights and fluorescent, that's just mind blowing. That was like, that was like turbocharged carnival. It was just, it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. It, it had a sort of outer, other world quality to it. I mean, we we do t- try telling people that you know, no matter what you've seen online or what you've read or the photographs that you've seen, nothing can quite prepare you for that moment when the when when the penny drops and you're th- you find yourself in the heart of it. Yeah. <laughs> and also that just the the madness of everyone around you. Um, and there is a sort of there is there's this sort of exciting energy, and especially at the beginning. I mean, we were lucky enough to get there early and seeing people arriving, and people getting off their their um, out of their vehicles and just going yeah, and running around with their arms in the air, and you know just that sort of palpable excitement. And then you had the the just as the as the time progressed, you had a different mood every day. So by the time you got to the day where the temple burns, it was really different. It was like people had gone through a sort of, I hate to use the the journey word, but people had gone through an emotional journey being there and people were there for different reasons. And, you know, all this sort of cathartic release happened on that day where people had had the, you know, the, the burning man and the sort of renewed regeneration of their spirits and their hopes and their dreams and all the things they'd been bringing with them and maybe the baggage they'd amassed over the year or even over a lifetime and then suddenly this big release and sort of letting it all out. So you definitely got this different spirit and atmosphere from other people around you and it's very contagious and you do get, uh, you do get carried along by by all of that it was extraordinary i mean i've been looking forward to this chat because um on one of our channels on our social channels which is a clubhouse we we have quite a few people coming in who have never been before and they are looking for guidance and advice or bits of anything we can offer them with with a view to helping 
them understand how to repair, how to get their 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 minds and their their headspace in the right place to to deal with the journey and the experience. It's it's quite quite a bit to get your head around, isn't it? It is. And I, I, I think um I think if I if, if I were lucky enough to go again, I would do things slightly differently. I think I'd have a bit more confidence at the beginning because I found myself easing into it. And I think for the first time you go, you have to go at your own pace and not feel the pressure to be going out and having a great time and just, just doing what you feel comfortable with. And I think you'll, you find that you go further afield, perhaps emotionally and mentally as well as physically. You know, I was staying close to the camp to start with, and then I was just going a little bit further and exploring a little bit more and riding around on a bike and going to the Central Cafe, which was a really good hub, actually, because it's a, it's the place where you can find it easily. You're not going to get lost. But you can just sort of sit and listen to talks or queue up for a coffee or look at some of the art that was in there. Um but people were, were, were in there just sheltering from the, the sun and just lying on the ground sleeping. So you could go and find yourself a little corner and spend a few hours there and chat with people or just be on your own. So someone, it was Chris, had said to me, that's a really nice place to just go and hang out. If you don't want to be in the camp, you want to go somewhere, but you just, you're not really sure. Just go there, spend a few hours there. And that's a nice, I, I would recommend that to anyone at any stage. How different would you say it would have been if you weren't in a camp? Or put it another way, what was it like being in a camp? And would you advise anyone to go solo without being part of a theme camp? And how difficult do you think that may be? Um, from a practical point of view, it was good to be in a camp because there is a division of labour when it comes to things like making a meal. You know, we could take it in turns to cook. So you're not just fending for yourself all the time. Because if you're on your own and you're having to, to prepare every meal for yourself, that's that eats into your day because of the washing up and the cooking and, and eating a meal on your own isn't that much fun. So you've got the practicalities of sharing um, chores. Um, but it was also really nice to feel a part of it, you know, because on on the times when we did sort of get dressed up and moved off as a kind of as a as a like a a pack and then hit some very strange bars and things and it was just it was just more fun you know just having mates around you having a laugh so i think uh i think being a part of a camp is is a really nice way of feeling that you're contributing and you'd say for a, as a first timer or a newbie or for your first adventure out it gives you access to a lot more at least the, the the combined knowledge or the collective knowledge of other camp members who can actually guide and give directions and give advice absolutely absolutely because we had we had someone in our camp who had been a mayor so she was a real font of knowledge and obviously you've been like 20 plus times in the past and you pick up little bits of information f 
through this process of random conversations or osmosis, you can't expect to know everything about it the first day you arrive. You just pick things up gradually and you watch what other people are doing and you work out, oh, people don't do that, they do this instead. And you sort of, you pick up the rules. It's like, it's like a society that has particular um, regulations, but they're not imposed regulations. They're just, um, they're just ways things are done. And you can only pick those up by observing other people. I mean, you have a very, I'd say, rich background in, in arts and partying and other things. But how different was the art experience in the desert to what you'd experienced prior? <laughs> it, it just didn't compare to anything I'd experienced. Up until that point, it was just completely unique. And I was absolutely blown away by it. And one thing I really struggled with to begin with was the idea that, you know, things get burned, things get deliberately destroyed. Because I'd always understood art as being a creative process that would end up with something that would then be there for perpetuity. And understanding that actually it's that the short life of the art that you know makes it even more special in a way that it's enjoyed um, but it's also um, understanding that it's a bit like life in that it's only with its destruction that you understand what its value was there are all these different elements that came that, that were thought-provoking in the idea of things being burned and then, of course, you have this extraordinary sight the next morning where you've got people who are picking their way through these ashes that are still smouldering. And, you know, they're obviously having to tread carefully because it's hot, you know. Not only is it the desert, but this thing is still kind of smouldering. And they're picking away, trying to find sort of treasures like the melted glass from something or a bit of sort of bent metal so that they can then like a kind of phoenix they then use that sort of art that's left over to create something new so there's this regeneration that happens all the time and that that was quite meaningful i found that quite um i felt quite emotional watching people sort of picking through the embers looking for these sort of treasures to keep using People often con misconstrue Burning Man as being that big party in the desert. You know, okay, it's a party, but there's much more to it. Uh, it seems you you had a, a bit of a a cathartic sort of experience with regards to your initial anxiety or or, or concerns and the, the 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 brick wall that you ran into on getting to the desert itself. I think my, my initial concerns and my thoughts about it had all been about the practicality of it. And that's a lot of people, that is one of the biggest entry blocks for a lot of people. Yeah, because, you know, it's a long way away from the UK. It's expensive to get there. You've also got to think about, um, it's not just like chucking stuff in a car and heading off. You know, you've got to plan it and you've got to have the right kit and you've got to protect yourself from the sun. You've got to have enough food and water with you. 
to last for, we were there, what, 12 nights? It's, you know, all of that, in a way, occupied my thoughts so much that I didn't really have any time to think about the other aspects of it. And it's only, and I think that was better in a way because because I hadn't gone there with particularly con preconceived ideas of what it was going to be like. But being in this de desolate environment, other than the other people around you, it was desolate. You could see, you know, desert floor. You could see sandstorms. You could see, you know, the dark sky at night. And there was a, a very sort of raw wilderness about it. Um, and that, in a way, also makes you look inwards and think about life and what it's all about. I mean, when I first went, I, I can remember talking to friends uh, early one morning when I just said the meaning of life within Burning Man is zero. Uh, the fact that you spend all year plotting, planning, rejoicing, collaborating, only and most of that's taking place online and then you meet up in the desert and you create this magnificence this awesomeness that is celebrated and 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 interacted with by so many people and then you burn it and you celebrate the burning you know i said in that case you you have to be at zero to be inspired to do it again i don't know because you're you're i don't know I don't know. I'm not an artist. I don't think of myself as an artist in any way. I don't create anything like that. So I don't have that, you know, that angle on it. Mm -hmm. I was, I mean, one of the things they say, one of the rules, I think, is that you're not there to observe, you're there to participate. And that freaked me out a bit because um, I think particularly with my sort of science background, I'm used to observation. <laughs> you know, that's what you do as a scientist. You observe what happens when you do this and that. Um, and I, it really took me out of my comfort zone to think that I was going to have to participate and create something. Um, and so I, I don't think I did fulfil that brief. But were you expected to feel, fulfil that brief your first time out? Well, also maybe because... Um, I've got that scientific mind. I was reading the rules thinking I've got to obey all of these rules. Burning Man <laughs> is not like that. No, no. And uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think I think uh, I misunderstood. Y you contribute. You contribute what you do and what you can in only in the, in the way that only you can. And people give what they can what you know you bring your particular skill set and whether it means that you're helping someone with um i don't know first aid or whether you're running taking a like a disabled person to their camp because they you know they need a bit of help with their bags or something you know you contribute in different ways or maybe you're just dehydrated and someone offers you a bottle of water oh yeah absolutely or you show someone the directions to something or you take someone's photo for them or something like that. It's a bit, I, I, another thing that I often kind of suggest is it's, it's a bit like a blank canvas where every single person's a, a paint stroke. Yes, that's, that's a nice image. Yeah, that's a nice image. <laughs> so uh, this arrival in the desert with all the various things that had taken place, um, you 
weren't in a tent and how different do you think that made it for you? <laughs> I think it made it much nicer. <laughs> we had uh, two people in tents next to the RV we were in and I could just see them covered in, they were dustier and dustier every day. And their tent, their, their bags, which they'd brought all their kit in, were clearly not sort of waterproof. And the dust had permeated through their bags so that they would open up their bag to get some fresh clothes out and their clothes would be covered in dust. And you just think, guys, you're, you're never going to get away from this dust thing. You know, just give up. <laughs> And yeah, and the temperature as well. The temperature was crazy. I mean, we were—I'd say we were fortunate enough to to have found a motorhome. And and for people who are listening to this and pondering, how the hell do I scale this hurdle? Well, every year, a lot of people sell off their old motorhomes, and more often than not, they they don't cost much. In fact, when I kind of weighed up the the costs. Um, hiring a vehicle, um, buying two tents, buying two beds, buying all the clothing, the bed clothes, and then we needed the cooking utensils, we needed the the, the stove, all the rest of the things, and then we probably need um, it's a dressing tent, dressing room tent where we store all of our stuff and you know certain amount a bit more privacy. Well, it all came up to about two and a half grand. But then a friend offered us an old motorhome for a thousand dollars, which <laughs> which was a no-brainer. Yeah, it absolutely was. And having, even though it was held together by duct tape and a lot of hope, <laughs> the fact that it had the thing, the capacity to be plugged into the mains there, so you constantly had somewhere that was cool. You could have the aircon on all day. And then you go to bed, you'd switch off the aircon so you had a nice, peaceful quiet in, in, in the vehicle and it was still cool. And by the time it had sort of warmed up, which was the next morning, you'd be waking up anyway. It was, it was the perfect solution. Absolutely. So what was, your, what was your average day like at Burning Man? Obviously, you're, you're, you're used to structure and, yeah. and, and plotting and planning and, and blocking your day through in your professional life. Did all that go out the window? Yeah, there was no average day because every day was extraordinary. <laughs> um, I suppose the only structure was really um, if there was, I mean, in the evening we'd have a group meal that either it was your turn to cook or someone else's. So that was the only thing you really had to do. Um, and um, you had the structure within the week of knowing when the, the man was burning and when the temple was burning. But beyond that, your time was your own, and that was wonderful. I mean, you just, don't get that much in, in modern-day life. No, just that freedom of not having to think about anyone else, really, um, and just thinking, right, I'm going to I'm gonna head off, and I don't know when I'll be back. <laughs> you don't know where you're going. I don't know where I'm going. I don't even know where I am right now, <laughs> but I'll see you later. <laughs> and... Um, you know, or you might go off for a coffee to try and track down a coffee somewhere and you might come back seven hours later and say, wow, that was amazing. <laughs> I need to have a nap now. <laughs> Yay. It, it is random like that, isn't it? Yeah. You never know who you're going to bump into or where, 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 where the desert in itself is going to take you. But that's, that's, that's when the best things happen. 
You know, I remember I got a flat tire on my bike and I had to go off and find, there was a place where people would repair your bike for free. You just had to pitch up and ask for help. And that was just a wonderful thing. So I had this um, sort of grid reference to where I could find this place. I couldn't find it, but I did find another one. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, you turn up there, you give your name, you roughly explain what you think is wrong with the bike. And they show you to this little waiting area. It's all under a big sort of tent. You can help yourself to a cold drink. You sit there and chat with other people, a bit like a doctor's waiting room, but pleasant. And there's all these bike experts repairing everyone's bikes. (laughs) And um, they call you up and you go over and they say, well, we think this is wrong with it and we can do help you with this. It could do with a little bit of oil here and... And, you know, half an hour later, you cycle off with this free bike. You've been sitting in the shade. You've had a nice chat. You've had a nice cold drink. And you think, wow, uh, okay, what else needs fixing? What else can I sort out? Um, The food on offer was amazing. Just every corner you turn around, there'd be people giving out bologna sandwiches or, you know, have a bowl of chili here, here, just stand in the queue. And would you like a mojito while you're waiting? Um, so that sort of wonderful sort of givingness of people. There was one guy who was stopping anyone who went past who looked a little bit red. And he was sort of offering to lather them up with um, Factor 50. Wow. And it wasn't like in a pervy way. <laughs> it was just, you look like you could do with some Factor 50. Don't be offended by me saying that. I'm here to help. Would you like some? And stopping people's shoulders burning. You know, and that was a lovely, um, lovely idea. And I, 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 one year I, I was walking down um, in the heart of the city and there was a man there with a priest's dog collar on. He had um, a big truck. Uh, the back of the truck was full of um, bottles of water and he was giving a sermon but he was just handing people bottles of water. Jesus, God lo- loves you. God loves you. And I just thought that the juxtaposition of of Burning Man and and a priest and religion and a sermon. But then on top of that, water <laughs> in midday was just crazy. Yeah, and I I don't think I don't think um, religion is. Um, a conflict to anything that's going on. I mean, that that was another thing that surprised me. You can go there with different ideas about um, politics or spirituality, religion, for want of a better word, and and it's a very accepting environment. No no one's telling you you're right or wrong. And there's space for for people to do what they want. There was a freedom there. I I think it's it's non-judgment. Absolutely, uh, it's it's more or less bring bring what you've got. Um, we will acknowledge, we will celebrate, we will not criticize, and in some cases um, apply the same principle to to other people. Yes, I mean it had to. It's got to be a two way thing. We're not going to judge you, so don't judge us. I suppose um, would be how I describe it. There, there was one thing that happened, which um, I suppose slightly contradicted that which was there was a camp there which had an art installation that had been misinterpreted by other people 
and the other people there's a bit of backlash on social media after the event because the people who'd misinterpreted it had been very offended by it um, but the people who had actually installed the art if anything were in a better position given their history and their background to be able to say this is satirical we are, we are talking about the Barbie death camp. Yeah, I wasn't going to use the words, but yeah, Barbie death camp. And that was an interesting one because I'd, I had taken some photographs of it and I put them onto, um, I was on Facebook at the time and I put them on my Facebook account and a few people had sort of thought they were just hilariously funny. Um, but then I actually took the photograph down because I didn't want to be inflaming some sort of um, political offence or... Um, I didn't want people being upset by it because even for people who were there, they were taking offence. So there is, I suppose, there is, I suppose, a, a line at which some people might start to judge. You know, not every... These are the... The ideal is that you don't judge others and they won't judge you. That's the ideal. Whether it happens all the time mm. is up for debate but out of 80,000 people you know nothing's going to be perfect no, is it absolutely did you at any point apply your scientific mind to any of your experiences or any of your your professional background to any of the experiences in the desert um y yes i did uh more from my psychology training it was more, a, it, again, it was to do with observation because you're trained in psychology to observe and to spot things and to notice things and not to jump in with um, a comment. It's listening to people is a big skill and just waiting. And, you know, there was there were situations where I was watching people's behavior thinking. If that person needs some help, I might I, I feel that I could intervene if, if they need me to. Um, but I'm just going to wait and watch for now. And there was particular incidents where I watched two guys who I thought were about to erupt into a fight and I was thinking. I, I know what to say to them. I feel I know what I could say to them to mediate this. And I know which one's the aggressor, so he's the one I talk to. But I didn't need to because they worked it out. And that was quite nice as well. Um, is that the sort of thing you meant? Yeah, absolutely. Because I know you, you, you're, as you say, you're, you're, you're a psychologist and you look at things from a totally different perspective or with a different perspective than, than I would. And it's just slightly curious as to, you know, how you saw the the interpersonal dynamic of, of various groups um, come come together or or whether you were in a position where you could actually, as you say, stand at the sidelines and just watch and whether you were surprised by some of the outcomes or some of the interactions. I was I was very amused by what I saw as a bit of a dichotomy between what people were there for in that most people I interacted with were there primarily because of the art and because of the challenge 
and because of their friends. But there was also a group who were there because it was the thing to do. Um, and they wanted their photographs for their Instagram accounts. <laughs> and I found that amusing. But there was a part of me that was actually quite pissed off about it. Because I was just thinking, okay, you do what you want. But you having that attitude is actually detracting from my experience to an extent. You know, I'm not going to let someone doing, you know, gazillion selfies in front of a piece of art I want to look at. I'm, I'm not really bothered by that action. But it's the intention behind what you're doing, which, is, which I find irritating. And I think it's possibly just because it's the missed opportunity that they're not actually looking at this thing with open eyes. They've got it behind them <laughs> because they want it in the photograph and they haven't even looked at it. Indeed. There are quite a few people do go to the desert for that particular purpose. I remember seeing an Instagram post by a, a fairly well-known celeb lady who had actually posted her arrival at the gate at Burning Man before she even stepped into the city. I have to say, I love the fact that you and some of your gang of clowns completely took the piss out of these guys and it just felt like maybe you'd learnt, they'd learnt a little bit of a lesson from the way that you had been teasing them. You know, and I think, I can't remember the exact incidents, but you came back laughing your heads off and recounting some very funny in interactions with some of these people and uh, just getting them to just look at how ridiculous they were being, in a way. Um, yeah. What's the best part of, what's the best part of the day for you in the desert? And how do you prepare for it? The, the best part, the best, okay, there's two best parts of the day. One best part of the day is when you finally had something to eat, you've got yourself covered in factor 50 and you're ready to go off on your bike and to have a look at some stuff. And there might be a new installation up or there's gonna be some more mutant vehicles to, to look at and you know you're gonna have some interesting conversations. So that sort of setting off, you know, off to explore, off to have an adventure is brilliant. And that is really best done in a way on your own because that's when you're more available to have these random chats and you can just follow your nose and say, ah, actually, I was looking at that, but now I'm going over there and now I'm going to go over there. And, you know, you're just off on your own, um, following your nose. And then the other really exciting thing is when it suddenly changes. As soon as that sun goes down, it turns into a different world. <laughs> One where there's, you've got to have your wits about you to not be run over by something. You've got to make sure you've got enough batteries in your flashing lights all over your body and your shoes and your, you know, you know where your bike is and you remember the lock combination and you don't get lost from the group and you go off just to have some fun and to do it's kind of wilder at night um it's sort of i suppose it's a bit kind of it feels a little bit like um a film set sometimes um mad max is the one that people talk about but there's just some almost sort of futuristic um there's a futuristic sort of vibe to the evening just because you've got these weird vehicles and everyone milling around 
And it isn't, it's another city, isn't it? Yeah. But it's like a mad, massive nightclub at night. In the desert? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With just pockets of... And so lots of people um, ask you when you come back, they say, what's the music like? And you then have to sort of explain that it's not a music festival because when you say festival, people, well, it's not really a festival, but people have this idea of it just being about like a big Glastonbury or something like that. And it's nothing like that. And the music isn't really... Um, it, it's there, but it's it's not the central purpose of it. Um, I mean, a lot of people people that similar sort of question. So, who's the headliner? Yeah, you know, is there a headliner? It's none. It's, it do, that yeah. doesn't make sense. And for a lot of people, it's getting their heads around that is 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 it's quite hard, especially as they are used to being fed this itinerary or this schedule of things happening at certain times of the day with certain acts or artists or experiences, all built upon a, a, a full-flowing kind of festival sort of um, structure. Mm. It's so far from that. It's, it, yeah, it's the randomness of it. Call it but... random acts of playa. <laughs> But there's just madness everywhere, and there's people... It, it's spontaneous, I suppose. You have spontaneous little things going on, um, and people in costumes just sort of breaking out into a little act, or just... I can't even think of any specific examples, but you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Talking about camps, what would you say were the more important and essential sort of elements that the camp provided that made you comfortable or made the whole experience as manageable as as you would have hoped it was a retreat it it was a place you could go to to rest and recuperate and recharge because yeah, you might go off to get a coffee and come back hours later, but you're going to be exhausted and you're going to have probably been in the sun for a long time. So coming back to the camp was somewhere you could feel safe and recharged. And we, you know, we had a really nice um, atmosphere in our camp. We had lots of really like-minded people and it was there was always someone around to chat with. It was rarely empty because everyone was doing their own thing, but at different times. And um, the camp afforded us, you know, a place to get out of the sun, to sit and relax, and a place to meet up. Mm. So you knew that at some stage, if you'd lost everyone, you knew at some stage they'd come back to the camp. True. So it was like a sort of, it was it was like a sort of meeting ground. Mm. And uh, the, I mean, you had to pay your camp fees or camp dues. Mm. Well, paying camp dues is, is one of the things that people say, where am I get, why am I paying extra when I have actually paid to get into into the event? But the fees actually go towards a lot more, and that's one of the benefits of being part of a bigger camp. Yeah, and th th there was a sense of camaraderie about it, actually. And I remember um, towards the end, I think we were coming back from, maybe it was from the temp, no, it wasn't. Anyway, it was it was one night where we'd noticed 
um, that the vehicle for our that was in our camp, but not our immediate camp, but our bigger camp that we were in, um, was going past. So we got a lift on it, and they were playing amazing music they're playing earth wind and fire yeah. and everyone was dancing and we had people on bicycles following us and because the music was so brilliant and it was it was just lovely it was like getting a lift home at the end of mm. the day mm. Um, mm. on this sort of ship that was sailing across across the uh, the desert um and that was lovely and i remember uh, you, you were saying oh yeah yeah it's, it's part of of course we can get on this you know it's part of our camp it's like great we get a lift we get a free ride it's like like a, a free bus um that was really nice and i also i mean i i think that was my second year of of camping we just to say we camped in in illumination village which is uh, one of the camps that provides most of the fire on the playa, most of the pyro on on the playa and we had this amazing shower that was kind of elevated above the ground. That's made of aluminium. That someone made for for they the made it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Didn't know that. Yeah. 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 No, they they don't sell things like that. People make them. <laughs> you know, and that that for me, I I kind of felt was good because I, I mean, being black, it's you can easily tell when I'm covered in playa dust, and uh, having a shower, a daily shower, was very very important. But also, we we had our own portaloo which kind of meant we weren't going too far to, to the Johns. And that, I mean, for me, that is more or less my the little bit of comfort that I, I need um, with all the madness happening around. Yeah, that was, that, actually, that was brilliant. That was a real luxury. And I don't know how much it cost us. It was, about, it, it was not much. It was about, I think, was it, we, I think we contributed about, is it 60 or $80 each? And that was yeah. it. And that was for two weeks. And it was worth every penny. <laughs> and, you know, they were kept clean. They were looked after. It was never an unpleasant experience like, you know, at some other UK festivals. It, it was actually um, really worth it. Yeah. And obviously there wasn't a burn last year. There's not a burn this year. But what would you say was your, your the main take home from from the experience. I think we're calling it an experience rather than an yes. adventure. Uh, I suppose that probably came later when I was just reflecting on what it had been about and what it had meant to me. It wasn't, there was so much to, there was so much to take in. There was so much to compute. And you know, when something big has happened in your life, it takes your brain a while to sort of catch up and to be able to think about it in the right way. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't a trauma in any way, but it took a while for my brain to catch up and sort of process it. And I think in a way it, it made me more than anything else think about having more authenticity in my day-to-day -day life. And I don't know what brought that on. Maybe it was just being in a place where anything goes and you're not being judged and you can sort of start to think about core values. And in a way you can mentally 
deconstruct your life and think right in a way maybe that the pandemic has got people soul searching a bit you know actually what are the things that really do matter because I'm away from my normal life I'm away from the things I do on a day-to-day basis I'm away from the motivations that make me get up in the morning and now I can think is it all of that what I want it to be what what could I change that would make me able to live my life in a more full and a more authentic way yeah. it does have that sort of effect I, I i it took me ages to for me to get my head around what i had experienced and when i finally did um it took a while to all even process that because i i spent such a long time looking at the videos and the the photographs and even at one point, I, I can remember waking up one, early one morning wondering whether I actually had experienced it or whether it was just a dream. <laughs> well, I, I'm sure I told you I had a dream one year um, that I'd been to Burning Man. And in the morning, I remember thinking, oh, I've been. That means I don't have to go now. <laughs> and I had this very vivid dream of being sitting at a trestle table chatting with someone underneath a, a canopy thinking, oh, this is what it's all about. And did you, <laughs> did you actually have that experience? Was there a deja vu? Did you, can no, you remember? I didn't have a deja vu, but I think I need to go again and see if I do. Perfect. <laughs> what advice would you give anyone who's trying it for the very first time? Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Don't feel that you have to rush into everything on the first day. Um, but push yourself emotionally and... Push yourself outside of your comfort zone because it's only then that you're going to get more out of it. Thank you very much, Annabelle, and a happy birthday. Thank you. You have been listening to the We Are From Dust podcast. Thanks to our guest, psychologist Annabelle Redfern, for her insightful view of attending that thing in the desert for the very first time. You can join our monthly chat on Clubhouse by searching for We Are From Dust in the directory. And over the past number of weeks, we've had quite a few people asking questions regarding coming to Burning Man for the first time. We Are From Dust is a non-profit organization dedicated to the proliferation of large-scale art in public places. And you can support our mission by making an online donation at www.wearefromdust.org. We Are From Dust is fiscally sponsored by the Sierra Art Foundation.